Don't you just love it when you can confidently say that someone has your back? Hi, Dave Lee here, and that's the feeling I have with UCARE. Anytime I call them up with a Medicare question, I know without a doubt that a real person will answer, and they will work through my issues no matter how long it takes, and they won't hang up until I completely understand what's going on. Their people and customer service are second to none, and it's why UCARE has people-powered health plans. Don't hesitate to reach out to UCARE for help. Learn more at UCARE.org slash Medicare. This paid endorsement brought to you by UCARE. Today on My First Concert. And so how do you bring all of that together? And we did it through a beautiful building in Allianz Field, a way that we staffed, a way that we built a food and beverage story inside of the stadium, through doing a tremendous number of events inside of the different cultures that exist inside mm-hmm. of our market. Um, and part of that is music as well. Yeah. I mean, and so if you go to our games, you, you hear all all sorts of different types of genres, all different types of music yep. um, that people in that stadium can relate to. And so it gave us a great opportunity just to be a disruptor in the marketplace in professional sports. And, you know, we were fortunate enough for it to work. Yeah, it sure did work. Yeah. And uh, music is a uniter. There's no doubt about yeah. that. In fact, you, you mentioned Manchester City. Growing up, you played soccer. You were a very accomplished soccer player. Wasn't one of your best friends, didn't he end up playing for Manchester? The other side of Manchester. Oh. <laughs> well, hi again, everyone. Dave Lee here with Davide Razo. He's our producer, and with us is a very special guest and a longtime friend for many uh, throughout the state of Minnesota. That is Chris Wright, uh, 26 years with the Wolves and the Lynx. A president uh, for at least 13 years, as I recall, then the CEO of Minnesota United, and he got that franchise going. And uh, talk about going from the start, it's been a hard ticket, and the success continues. So, Chris was the architect of that as well. He's joining us, and he has some great music stories that we're going to share. It's all brought to you today by the Minnesota Propane Association, by the Chanhassen Dinner Theaters, by Starbank.net, by UCARE. And we are broadcasting from the AquariusHomeServices.com studio as well. And we appreciate their time. Chris, awesome to see you. First things first, title of the show, my first concert. You've got a lot of great stories, but what was that first one? Uh, The first concert that I actually went to on my own was uh, the Hollies. Oh, my. And um, so way back when. um, Graham Nash. Yeah, all of those guys. I mean, it was incredible. Uh, You know, Alan Clark, um, just an incredible sort of band. Um, There was, um, I was born in a little fishing town called Filey. And, uh, we in moved, England. In England. And we moved out of there when uh, when I was nine. But I used to go back and spend all of the summers with my grandparents. And um, very, very, very close. And ultimately when, um, you know, I became of age where I could work, I always worked in Filey. And the, the next town to Filey was a place called Bridlington. And Bridlington had something called a spa. And it's not a spa as the ladies would know about it today. Uh, it was a big sort of concert hall. And so any bands uh, that were either being formed, the circuit in England always included Brit Spa. And so, um, you know, when the Hollies, the Hollies were formed in about 1962, um, and, you know, they... You know, just one look, bus stop, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, they, they became an immediate sort of uh, favorite of, of mine. Um, and, you know, lo and behold, here they are on the circuit. 
Um, and so I went to Bridge Spa and, uh, and that was my very, very, very first concert that I had ever seen. Wow. I wonder what the price of a ticket was for that. Yeah, it was interesting because they were formed in 62. So this had to be around about 1964, 65. I was probably 16. Um, at the time, I'm, I'm thinking maybe two pounds. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, uh, today, not I don't know that they could get two pounds today oh, for, a yeah. for, the holly, for the hollies today. But, oh, the hollies. Uh, yeah. And I, have, I, I got, now you're going to make me go back today when I get home and check my albums because I have one of those albums from those days where they were um, – you know, just one look. Gosh, you made me think about that. Bus stop yeah. was huge and on yeah. and on. And then, of course, he eventually becomes part of Crosby, Stills, Nash and & Young and yeah. Crosby, Stills & Nash. But yes. the Hollies, man alive. So, Did you go by yourself? No. So, they, I mean, I mean my, my story goes that my two really good friends in Filey, one of the reasons that I always went back to Filey uh, was because of these two buddies that I had. I went to sort of junior school, primary school with them, a guy called Billy Jessen, and the other guy was called Richard Cowling. Billy Jessen was a left-hander. And so um, it was interesting. He found a way to buy basically every single that came out. So the Beatles, when they were formed <laughs> in 1960, um, he would figure out a way to scrounge up money to be able to buy whatever you know the, the, the single was of the day. We would go over to his living room, Richard, Billy, and Chris Wright, and we would air guitar to the songs and we would play them so many times until we knew every single word of every single song. And they are still buddies of mine today. Wow. I, I was just back in England this summer. Uh, we had a party for, um, you know, my mom. Your mom, who, yeah, yeah my mom who turned 100. They showed up. Oh. And so all, all the way back from those days of playing air guitar in uh, Billy Jessen's, you know, front room, listening to whatever was the latest single that had come out. And he had rows of singles on top of a credenza inside of that living room. And and honestly, whether it was the Hollies, whether it was Eric Burden and the Animals, whether it was the Who, whether it was the Beatles, Rolling Stones, whatever it was, you know, he would go out and buy. Billy always played Paul McCartney for the Beatles hmm. because he was a left-hander. You know, I was always John Lennon because I had a little bit longer <laughs> hair than he did. <laughs> and uh, so it, it was fun. It was fun growing up um, at, at that particular time, the 60s, and the early 70s and then on, oh, in, yeah. you know, on into everything that happened in the 70s was just remarkable. It was a great time to be a young kid in England. Yeah, and of course here we called it the British Invasion, but for you it was uh, – how, how was that all referred to? As? Yeah, I mean they, they hadn't invaded yet. <laughs> so they were still <laughs> – So, I mean, if you, if you think about the, uh, the Beatles and Liverpool, you know, 1960 they were formed – um, and then really, so they were the first band that came out. And so you, you think about all of their sort of early singles. Um, it's just really interesting to see sort of what happened after that. Sort of Rolling Stones, 1962. Um, you know, the Hollies were 1962. The Who were 1964. Um, so all of these bands, the Searchers, Mersey Beats, Yardbirds. Hall of um, Fame bands. Uh, oh, oh, I mean, it was incredible. Yeah. I mean, and and so, you know, when I used to walk into Billy Jessen's house and he would go, okay, here we go. It's, you know, it's, <laughs> today's the who and it's ha it's Happy Jack, you know. So, so we're, we're learning all of the words to Happy Jack oh, you know, sure. in the middle of the living room. So the invasion really hadn't begun. Um, and what's really interesting for me is, you know, the not that we were directly involved in the music industry, but... Um, 
there was a small place in Filey where I was born and uh, every summer when the holidaymakers came to Filey, you know, there were shows put on at a place called the Pavilion and the, and the guy who orchestrated all of the acts that played the Pavilion uh, was a guy called Eric Easton. He was the promoter. He was the agent. He was the manager. And um, my dad was a cop um, in Filey and they got to know each other, you know, very, very well. And in fact, some of the artists used to even... Uh, lodge with us in our house and, mm. um, you know, got to know some of the artists who who played um, at the pavilion. Well, he became um, an agent over in England of not necessarily um, one really big band, one really, really big band, but then he had a lot of other bands like uh, Joe Brown and the Brothers, Mrs. Hill, um, you know, one, a lot of the smaller bands. But it, his sort of claim to fame was that he became really the first manager of the Rolling Stones. Um, wow. Th this guy, Eric Easton, became the godfather to my uh, sister. And so I, I always call this guy Uncle Eric. Um, and it was really interesting just to be around him. And I, I got to know him very, very well in his beautiful place that he lived in down in um, uh, sort of Berkhamstead in, um, in in Berkshire, England. But whenever I used to go south, even later in the days, I, I used to stay with him. And he was the only guy in the end who I, I knew, uh, very humble beginnings, Chris Wright, fishing town. But he was the only guy that I knew that drove a Bentley. Oh, boy. And the reason that he drove a Bentley was because when he was managing the Rolling Stones, mm -hmm the Rolling Stones really did want to come to the United States. And he he, tell, he used to tell this story a lot better than me. Uh, but he said that they weren't ready to come to the United States. So they broke contract with him and basically found, in the end, um, Andrew Lou Goldham, who became, you know, the manager who brought the Rolling Stones to the United States. And so he sued him. Um, and, you know, for I think it was about 10 years, he got a very, very small piece of every record that oh, uh, they ever made. And uh, thus, the Bentley. <laughs> <laughs> and many more, and, I'm sure, and he yeah, wanted them. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> wow, just, what a story. Just, yeah, just very, very interesting stuff. Yeah, what a, well, what a great way to grow up around music like that. And memories are wonderful. He's Chris Wright. Uh, a lot of you know Chris through soccer, through basketball with the Timberwolves and Lynx. We're talking music, though, today with him, and we'll be right back with more on my first concert. Dave Lee here, Davide, putting it all together, our producer once again. Uh, I want to talk about the uh, Chanhassen Dinner Theater for a second. Uh, first of all, the concert series you have out there. So Chris is talking about the Stones and some of these, the Hollies and these great legendary bands. They've got a, uh, they've got a special tribute coming up, which will be all uh, Led Zeppelin stuff. Uh, you too will follow that. Then they have a tribute to Joe Cocker. And then they're going to do the Eagles and Patsy Cline. And they're doing one uh, with Kansas Sticks and Foreigner and California Dreaming, which is the songs of Laurel Canyon, which is really, really, really good. Uh, and much more. In fact, they're doing a salute to the music of Prince coming up. Uh, much more. They're doing a classics, a vintage show for the uh, dedicated to the Bee Gees. So, so these tribute concerts are huge. They're popular. That's why I like telling you about them, because you need to get it on your schedule and get your tickets now at ChanhassenDT.com. Now, on the main stage, music tie-in again, but I've mentioned this before, Michael Brindisi, who's the artistic director there. So Michael grows up in the streets of Philadelphia. Underneath those streetlights, 
and singing doo-wop songs a cappella with his buddies out in the street corner. That's exactly how the Jersey Boys musical begins and develops with Frankie Valli in the Four Seasons. The story's great. It's very powerful. But the music is just off the charts. And Michael's done so many shows. And, of course, he's appeared in musicals himself elsewhere in New York. And, and of course, we're glad he's picked Minnesota as his home. But he'll tell you this is one of his all-time favorites. I don't know if he has a favorite, but this is it because it's kind of reminiscent of the way he grew up. Anyway, my point is the show is great. ChanHassonDT.com. It's on the main stage right now. Just mm-hmm. a fun night out. Get a date and get on over there. When you get a chance to go by yourself, whatever. It's very enjoyable. Chris Wright's with us here on my first concert. Dave Lee with you. Uh, Chris, we can kind of go all over the map. Uh, let's talk, though, about the Beatles, uh, as you were John Lennon in, the, in that group. And when when you first noticed them and, and, and stories regarding the Beatles, and you've seen them. Yeah, I mean, it was sort of... Um Back back in the day, it, it was all about radio, mm-hmm. and uh, you know there was, um, and then pirate radio sort of came along. Yeah, um, you know, and so as kids growing up in in that sort of era, um, you know, you were always seeking out the radio stations that were playing this music that was sort of um, it, it, it was a disruptor. It was it was sort of disrupting the music scene, and and for kids like me. Um, and, and my friends, uh, it, it was just a, a sort of an amazing experience and, and to see people start to grow their hair longer, their sideburns longer and, you know, try to take on the image of what, what the Beatles became. The Beatle boots. Yeah, the Beatle boots and, you know, um, it, it, it was fantastic. And um, so we, we lived in a place called Hull for a while and there were different venues that obviously were capable of hosting the Beatles as they started to you know, make their rounds. And, you know, I remember my, my high school um, and my high school girlfriend wanted to go to see the Beatles at the ABC Theatre in Hull. And tickets were to go on sale on a particular day, on a particular time. And we lined up around, you know, this theatre um, for basically 12 hours. And it was <laughs> the first time that I realised that something different was going on. And it was... Um, you know, back in the day, you really didn't line up for tickets no. for things. And now suddenly here is this phenomenon, which is the Beatles. And suddenly everybody wants a ticket. There's only 2,000 tickets in this small auditorium that they're playing at that point. And, you know, you better be in line 12 hours beforehand to be able to get a ticket. And it was the first time that I realized the power of what they were really doing. And then you know, I it it was I, I I was a Beatles fan, but I wasn't a huge Beatles fan. Right. So the second concert that I went to see was the Who, um, and I, I was an incredible sort of you know Roger Daltrey, Peter Townsend, Keith Moon, and, and Whistle, those guys. Um, the second concert that I ever saw live was actually the Who, um, and you know just to see guitars being broken oh, on the stage yeah, at the end of thing, you know, wasn't it, it was it was it was incredible. I mean, it was just. Unbelievable. So this this music that was happening. Did they even do that in small venues? Oh, small venues. So Bridge Spa, two thousand people at the end of the show. You know, um, you know, Daltrey was all over the place. You know, smashing stuff, and it, it was it was just incredible. And you, you you walked away from it, Dave, and you would go. What have I just seen? <laughs> and, and is it okay? Yeah. <laughs> You're a simple English guy, yeah. you know, being brought up in a fishing town, yeah. and you see these hoodlums yeah. 
you know, from wrecking that expensive yeah, instrument, wrecking everything. And you know, I mean, it's. <laughs> But you know, I mean, things like Happy Jack and Substitute and Pinball Wizard and yeah. and all of those songs. So that was sort of my music, and I sort of grew into, I grew into the Beatles because the, the Beatles were sort of the leader of the pack. Everybody else was sort of following at the time. The Rolling Stones emerged as obviously a, a, a huge band. I, I was a huge fan of the Rolling Stones, um, but the, the Beatles and the Beatles music has transcended time. Mm-hmm. Uh, my daughter loves it today. So um, you know, you know, we 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 sing "Hey Jude" every single time that we are in a down car together, and you know, <laughs> um, and it, it's just incredible that all of that was happening when you were a. 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old kid, and here you are 70-plus today, and you have a daughter that's 32, and, yeah. you know, that music is still alive and well, yeah. you know, from from all of that period of time so long ago. Yeah, that's amazing. Do you remember when they took the trip across the Atlantic and, be, and were a huge hit in America? Yeah, well, we, I mean— I don't it, know what kind of press it got in England. Oh, but, massive. I mean, yeah. it, was, it was massive because by then they had become— you know, so big over in England and, you know, the fact that this band was going over to, you know, the United States and the very, very first image you see is them climbing off a plane and I think it was at John F. Kennedy Airport, if I remember correctly. I can't remember which New York airport it was, but I think it was JFK. And they're landing and you see these rows of people, you know, over the top of all of the buildings, you know, waiting for them to land and to sort of walk down you know, the, uh, the, the the steps to get off the plane. I mean, and, and then, you know, the footage of all of the shows in major, major stadiums, you know, over here as compared to maybe some of the smaller venues uh, that there were over in England. They hadn't really played a lot of stadiums over in England. They'd played mm. smaller venues, but over here they were going into major cities and, you know, Forty to 60,000 people uh, sort yeah. of, you know, watching them play. So and someone told me, like, when they came here to Met Stadium where the Twins played, they played maybe 30 minutes. I understand. Well, I don't know. That's what yeah. somebody told me, that they, they played maybe 30 minutes. Uh, <laughs> and and I don't, I'm sure the sound out there was less than desirable. Yeah. But it was the Beatles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah just just fantastic. And then you, you think about their legacy today and, you know, you go see Paul McCartney today, you know, all of these years after. You know, I, I was at Target Center a couple of years ago when he played there. And I, I think, and I, I can't remember exactly what the number was, but he played like 39 songs. Yeah. And he stayed on stage for three plus hours um, at the age of whatever he is, mid-70s, yeah. and um, maybe even older now, uh, late 70s. Um, so just just to think that he is still alive, he still wants to perform, um, and he's still performing at a, at a relatively high level, um, you know, is just remarkable. And Ringo still has his all-star bands going. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it's pretty phenomenal. What Obviously, I, I can't imagine anybody envision what it turned out to be. But being, seeing the Beatles when you did, what were, what were some of the songs when you saw them? Do you remember what some of the songs were at that time? Um, I, I think, I, I can't remember. I, Please Please Me. Oh, okay. Um, Walking the Dog. Um, money. Um it was it was that sort of the early Beatles the, stuff, the, yeah. the really early Beatles stuff when uh, you know when I first saw them. Man, 
No, great memories. Chris Wright's with us here. Much more to talk about, including uh, the Stones and Elton John and uh, Rod Stewart. So hang on here. By the way, our uh, sponsor, one of our sponsors of the show is the bank we use here, talknorth.com. That's Star Bank. So there you go. Uh, We know a lot about them, and they know a lot about us. And I do know that if you're expanding a business, they're just great. Uh, But it might be something like, you know, uh, repairs at your house doesn't have to be a big business deal. It can be repairs at home. It might be a home a line of credit, a home mortgage, a business loan, uh, the ag operating or equipment loans, the loans for a camper, or you're going to go in a recreational vehicle. They can handle all of that stuff. They've been doing it for years. Still family run. That's how it started years ago here in Minnesota in a small town. Now they're in 10 towns across the state, but also right here in the metro, and they do everything. The other part that's kind of cool about this is the turnaround time on loans, which you know can be slow sometimes. A second and none. This is where you want to go. No red tape, no monkey business. You apply for a loan, submit your documentation, and you'll find out pretty quick. And I just get the loan needs met at starbank.net. If I've piqued your curiosity, just call over there because they'll answer the phone. Be ready for that. A real person will answer and just say, hey, I heard Dave talking about you, bragging about you. Uh, can you tell me what you can do for me in this particular case? Starbank is still family-owned and Minnesota-based. So find out more when you call your local Starbank. There's a branch close to you somewhere or stop in at your convenience. Loans, of course, are subject to a loan application approval. They're a member FDIC and equal housing lender. That's starbank.net. Find out more today. You'll like them a lot. Chris Wright. uh, For years, we've known Chris with uh, the Timberwolves, uh, president over there, also the Lynx uh, with their championships. Then he went on to um, help uh, really be the architect of uh, the soccer team here in town that's taken on. I mean, the minute your first game opened up, Chris, with Minnesota United, it's packed. The stadium is beautiful, which makes me wonder at some points if Allianz is ever going to have a concert. Maybe they had a concert that I don't know about. Mm. Would they bring in Oasis and do Wonderwall? Again? Yeah, we tried. Oh, you did? Yeah. I mean, so the Gallagher's obviously have <laughs> got a very interesting relationship <laughs> with each other. Yeah, um, yeah. But, you know, given the fact that, you know, we have a wonder wall, et cetera, we had, um, we desperately wanted to bring uh, one of them over. You know, we went hard after Noel, um, but we just could not get him to commit to uh, come over. But we really wanted to do something like that around the grand opening, yeah. you know, of Allianz Field. And we kept it very, very quiet. We worked really heavily with the league, with the MLS. Um, he is a huge, well, they're both huge uh, Manchester City fans okay. over, over in England. In fact, Manchester City uh, about three years ago now actually stole Wonderwall, um, a big club like Manchester City, uh, stole Wonderwall really from MNUFC and they use that song now as part of, you know, their introductions of their team, Isn't et that cetera. interesting? Yeah, because they're both season ticket holders of uh, uh, Manchester City. But we, we just could not get him to commit. I, ironically, and um, it's, it's sort of timely, um, you know, we always had the debate internally about, you know, um, the field. Um, you know, we had we mm-hmm. positioned the opportunity to get the franchise here as, you know, the game above all, and we were going to build a stadium that was purpose-built for the game of soccer, and it was going to be grass. And so we, we had some problems with the turf in the first year and had to actually replace it. I don't know if you remember the Johnny's Tommy's game. I sure do. Um, yeah, but because yeah. um, I think you were involved with yeah, St. Thomas yeah. at, that, at that point. Um, so we had some problems with the turf. And, and I think, you know, generally speaking, ownership, 
um, would would say, hey, we've got to look after the team first, which is right, before we start to venture into the world of uh, concerts. Although there are other teams in our league, LAFC being one of them, that does a phenomenal number of concerts and other events on the field. So we, we actually uh, had said, if we can get somebody big, you know, we'll, we'll do it. And so just prior to COVID, we went down a path with uh, Lizzo. My. And um, we were very, very close to trying to put a concert of that sort of magnitude inside of the stadium. You know, unfortunately, there's some issues in her world right now. But back then, obviously, somebody who is very familiar with Minnesota yes. and loves Minnesota. And we felt that that was really appropriate. And so that was going to be sort of the first concert that we did. And then, unfortunately, COVID hit. So um, all of that sort of went uh, awry. So it, it's interesting because... Um, if you're a professional athlete, you would love to be a rock and roll star. Yeah. If you're a rock and roll star, you would love to be a professional <laughs> athlete. It is funny. And, and yeah. the, there are all of these incredible sort of stories, ties to the way that music uh, and sports comes together. And obviously it's a, it's a big part of creating an atmosphere. It was with the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Minnesota Lynx yeah. uh, when we were there. But in the beautiful game, in the world's game, um, you know, where so many of these artists are from either England or Europe or whatever, and are tied intrinsically to um, the sports world, they love to be around rock and roll and they love to be around music. And, um, you know, there's a couple of stories that I have around what's, that as well. What's interesting about that, though, is, I mean, that would have been that would have been spectacular, especially if Oasis had done Wonderwall. But yeah. You didn't need it. I mean, your response to that team immediately was was terrific, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it really was. And um, it, it's interesting when you, because of where the game was then, and particularly the professional game, you've almost got to come in and disrupt the market just a little bit. And, you know, there's the tried and true, and mm -hmm. there's all of the other franchises and all of the other leagues here um, that, you know, I was very, very familiar with. You've, you've got to do it in a slightly different way. And, mm -hmm. and in the end, you've got to understand the roots of the game. Um, it is the beautiful game, and it's the worldwide game. And um, what, we, what we found was, and I used to... I used to ask this question all the time. How many languages and dialects are actually spoken in the Twin Cities? And, yeah, you told and, me that's, yeah, that's no, crazy. No, nobody knows the answer to that question, but there's, there's 251, or there was 251 back seven years ago when we were putting all this together. So the question is, you know, th there's so many first, second, third generation people who have come to the Twin Cities and now are making it their home that in some way, shape or form have a background or their roots are in the game. And so the, the, the question is, how do you build something around bringing all of these cultures from around the world together so that they associate with, um, you know, the, the, the game that they love and the team that is here locally. And I, I thought that in the end, through food and beverage stories, through staffing stories, through the way that we built the stadium, through storytelling. Um, you know, we, we, we built a why, a purpose for the club that was all around inspiring and uniting our community through the beautiful game. And so how do you bring all of that together? And we did it through a beautiful building in Allianz Field. 
a way that we staffed, a way that we built a food and beverage story inside of the stadium through doing a tremendous number of events inside of the different cultures that exist inside mm-hmm. of our market. Um, and part of that is music as well. Yeah. I mean, and so if you go to our games, you you hear all sorts of different types of genres, all different types of music yeah. um, that people in that stadium can relate to. And so it gave us a great opportunity just to be a disruptor in the marketplace in professional sports. And, you know, we were fortunate enough for it to work. Yeah, it sure did work. Yeah. And uh, music is a uniter. There's no doubt about yeah. that. In fact, you, you mentioned Manchester City. Growing up, you played soccer. You were a very accomplished soccer player. Wasn't one of your best friends, didn't he end up playing for Manchester? The other side of Manchester. Oh. (laughs) The Red Devils. Uh, Okay. Um, Yeah, so he played for Manchester United. So I was with a team called Hull City. Um, And, um, you know, unfortunately, after about three years, uh, my my career got curtailed because I, um, I ruptured a kidney. I was a goalkeeper. Um, and I, as Davide was, yeah, and I, I lost an awful lot of confidence and couldn't find my way back. And so, um, I decided that I was going to go into uh, sort of coaching. Mm-hmm. And so I did all of my coaching awards over there. Uh, I got my full badge when I was 21 years of age. I was one of the youngest people in England uh, to get the highest coaching qualification that you can. That means that you can coach at the professional level over there. But the guy who I came through the ranks with was a guy called Stuart Pearson. And um, Stuart was a very, very talented centre forward, um, played for Hull City's first team a lot and then got spotted by Manchester United. Uh, And at the time, it was the largest transfer fee that Hull City had ever got. He went to Manchester United. So I was never a Manchester United fan until he went to Manchester United. And then I became a huge Manchester United fan. He went on to play for England and, you know, Chris Wright (laughs) went off in a completely different direction. I think it worked out for both (laughs) of you, if I'm not mistaken. I want to get back to music here in a second. I want to ask you. I, I know. I want to ask you a little bit about Elton John. Yep. Uh, I do. And soccer and Rod Stewart. I want to bring that up too. I want to thank our friends over at. Uh, by the way, uh, some interesting news. But our friends at Minnesota Propane Association. It's just that now, once in a while, you, you might be thinking about. Uh, you might not think about it until it happens. But you should be heads up on preparing for power outages at your home or business. Right. Think, ah, gosh, yeah, I guess I don't think a lot about that. Well, here's a, a good thing to think about. The North American Electrical Liability Corporation has issued this highest alert ever, and the Minnesota Propane Association wants you to know that installing a propane generator is going to ensure that peace of mind when the power goes out. Also, that same propane we're talking about that powers your generator can also power all the major appliances in your house. And that's with on-site stored energy independent of the grid you hear so much about the grid this is independent of that installing propane appliances instead of electric appliances in your home or your business actually will also reduce the size and the cost of a generator as well so just imagine running all those gas appliances at one time versus picking and choosing which electric ones you have to run during a power outage so when we talk about reliable it is when you talk about something that's affordable this is something that's safe this is propane the energy for everyone. There's so much to know about generators and propane appliances, but there's so much to know about how this helps our environment too that I really encourage you to go to propane.com and learn a whole lot more. And and, and you're going to find it fascinating. I know you are. Speaking of fascinating, our guest is Chris Wright. Uh, Chris, let me, as long as we're just talking about soccer, Rod Stewart, I I, I know uh, you had some 
you met Rod Stewart, you worked with Rod Stewart. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that past experience? And he was a soccer guy. Yeah, maybe if I could, Dave, maybe I'll, 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 I'll come to Rod through Elton John because well, that's, I love it. That, that's how, um, that's how sort of the connection sort of began and was made and, and then it manifests itself in this incredible experience in the early 80s uh, in Pittsburgh, believe it or not. Um, so if, if you think about Elton John's career, he, he went solo in uh, 1969 and um, he, he produced and launched his first big hit, Your Song, in 1970. And here's this young guy, and I'm, I'm living down south, uh, right outside of L London by then, and um, um, I'm working with um, semi-professional soccer teams. Um, and it's really interesting that, you know, the guy who I was living with, sharing a house with at the time said, hey, the Elton John's coming through Hemel Hempstead. We've got to go to his concert. And this was a, about a 1,500, 2,000... Um, capacity building, went there, saw Elton John live for the very first time just after your song. And uh, it was incredible. Here's this guy walks out wearing typical Elton John garb and, you know, the boas and the big glasses and everything else. The concert was absolutely incredible. And I, I didn't realize that our paths in some way, shape or form in the future were, go were going to cross uh, at that point. Um, and so Elton John was born in a little town called Pinner. Um, right outside of, not, not too far from Watford at all. And his dad was a huge Watford football club um, fan. And they used to go to Watford football club games um, all the time. Fast forward to 1974, um, Elton John gets asked to be on the board of Watford football club and he agrees to do it. So he's is this young kid who, um, you know, just loves the game, um, Dad took him to all the games and now he's on the board of Watford Football Club. The problem with Watford Football Club is there are about, I don't know, millions of pounds in debt. Mm. And um, meanwhile, he's going out with his Yellow Brick Road tour. Huge. And while he's on tour, he announces that he's added a concert at a place called Vicarage Road, which is the home of Watford Football Club. <laughs> so he's going to play in a stadium, in a soccer stadium, and he's going to do all of the proceeds of the concert are going to pay off the debt mm. of, the, uh, of the English football club. And so you, you can go to YouTube today and you can YouTube this concert. Wow. So Chris Wright buys a ticket for two pounds. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think I'm, you know, a dog in dirt. Yeah. You know, because here I am, I'm sat in Vicarage Road. There's like 40,000 people at this concert. Here's this stage at one of the ends where the goal is normally, it's packed and we're all waiting for Elton John, you know, to come on stage. And we see this ambulance, um, sort of an EMT vehicle, as it would be known over here, paramedics, parked at one end of the stadium and it starts to move towards the stage and it backs into the stage and out jumps from the back of this vehicle <laughs> Elton John. <laughs> Here he is on stage and I mean, this is a young kid now. I mean, yeah, Elton John yeah. is a young man and he's got the bumblebee outfit on and <laughs> the, the, the glasses and everything and he starts to play. And you talked about sound. Yeah. Sound was terrible. <laughs> well, yeah, I, it was I awful. can imagine. So he's probably about three or four of his biggest hits into the show. And, and he says, ladies and gentlemen, I want to invite 
you know, my guest for this concert to come up on stage now. And from the back of the stage, here comes Rod Stewart. Oh, boy. And so you've got Elton John on stage <laughs> and, now with Rod Stewart. And you had no clue to Rod no, Stewart. No clue that Rod Stewart was coming. <laughs> but Rod Stewart, big soccer guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, could have played professionally. I did not know that. Yeah, decided that he basically wanted to go into the world of music. And so, and, and Elton and him were always big friends. And uh, it was almost like, I'll do anything for soccer. I'll do anything for the real football. And, <laughs> and um, for, I don't know, for probably about half an hour or so, uh, Rod Stewart sang Elton John's hits. Um, Elton John sang Rod Stewart's Man. hits. One of the greatest experiences uh, that I've ever had. So in 1976, um, Elton John buys Watford Football Club. He actually buys it. So he is not only on the board now, but he's actually bought the club. And I have now, my career is starting to move a little bit. I'm now the coach of a club called Hitchintown, which is right below the major leagues in, in England. There were four divisions and we were in like the fifth division, always trying to get up into mm -hmm. the fourth division. Hitchintown is probably about 30 miles away from Watford. And our preseason exhibition games always used to be, we always used to play Watford. And so sometimes we would play at Vicarage Road, which is their ground, 40,000 seat stadium. And then we would play at Fish Ponds Road, which was a 6,000 seat stadium. <laughs> <laughs> but we would alternate. Sure. And um, so when I got, got the job there as the coach, um, it was Watford's turn to come and play at Fish Ponds Road. And so night of the game, who shows up? Elton John. <laughs> And, you know, as the owner of the team. And, you know, it's this little 6,000-seat stadium. And we always used to pack it out um, because we were playing one of the bigger clubs uh, in England, which was Watford. And um, so we had a small clubhouse, um, you know, where we call them members. And so these are not just season ticket holders, but these are people who put more money into the club. And there's probably uh, about, uh, I don't know, 120, 150 people who can go to this particular club after the game. And you always invite the ownership group mm -hmm. of the other team um, or any of the dignitaries that they're bringing. And so in Walks Elton, um, you know, after the game, you know, we got caned, I think 4-1 or whatever it was. <laughs> <laughs> and he walks in, he sees a piano in the corner. Oh, my. Throws off the dust sheet and sits there and just plays. Oh, gracious. And, and, and yeah. away, away he goes for about half an hour in front of all the members. I mean, one of the greatest nights oh, you, 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 you could ever have. Um, but so that takes us to Rod Stewart. Yeah. And so Rod Stewart obviously performed in that concert. And then ultimately I get a job in the United States. I come over here. I'm the general manager of a team called the Pittsburgh Spirit in Pittsburgh. And we played in the Civic Arena. And, you know, my, my love for music... Um, you know, for all intents and purposes, it, this was a dream job, not only because I was involved with soccer and building a soccer team for Edward J. DeBartolo on the San Francisco 49ers and on the Pittsburgh Penguins and blah, blah, blah. But every concert that came out played the Civic Arena in Pittsburgh. And so as the general manager of that team, I was able to go and see anybody and everybody yeah. who played there. And uh, about, I think it was about 1982, maybe, um, Rod Stewart um, is coming to play uh, the Civic Arena. And so, you know, this connection with Rod Stewart and Rod Stewart's music and um, was incredible because we had decided that our theme for the Pittsburgh Spirit in the MISL was to be hot legs. <laughs> <laughs> and the, in, 
the in, <laughs> introduction of all of our players was to Rod Stewart's hot legs. <laughs> so we, we got notes and everything into his agents and uh, he got really, um, I don't know, wound up about this. He, he thought it was fantastic that this soccer team, you know, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where he was playing a concert, was using, you know, his music to introduce the players. And we had a couple of Scottish guys on the team as well, which, you know, was really interesting. We had all these flames going up by the side of the goal, <laughs> goalposts and the lights were out and everything. Hot Legs was You kind of had your time out. on oh, this. It was, it was incredible. We had a Miss Hot Legs competition every year and drove these young women around in cars and vote on who had the best legs in Pittsburgh. All of the completely socially incorrect things <laughs> that you would would not yeah. do today. Yeah, exactly. Um, but but anyway, um, so he comes in and um, we we meet and um, he agrees to wear a Pittsburgh Spirit jersey um, for his encore. Uh, and honestly, when he walked out in that jersey, 15, 16,000 people at the concert, they went absolutely crazy just to see Rod Stewart Wearing, and I've, got, I've still got a photograph of him that he signed for me in um, in my basement uh, back home. But we also took out a bag of about 20 soccer balls, mm -hmm. um, MISL soccer balls. I have no idea whether or not he was doing it beforehand, or, but but I, I know that he still kicks soccer balls out into the crowd today. Yeah. We, we undid this bag and he kicked like 20 soccer balls out into the crowd. We've got all sorts of photographs and images of him doing that. Uh, but it was amazing to come full circle from that 1974 concert uh, to about 1982-ish, where he's in the United States, and just to be able to say, hey, I saw you at Vicarage Road, you know, with Elton John raising money for that team, um, and now you're here in my home stadium, you know, with the concert wearing my my club, the, the club that I'm the general manager of, that jersey, and kicking out soccer balls to people in the United States. So, I mean, it, it's amazing how the sports world again and the music world yeah. is so really interconnected. Oh, he must have loved it. Yeah. I mean, he just, what a what a treat for him to, yeah. to look forward to getting to Pittsburgh, <laughs> which probably, who knows if he ever thought he'd go to Pittsburgh and have yeah. that kind of reception. Yeah. Chris, I, I'm, I'm really curious now. Um, who picks these songs, like Hot Legs or even the model? What, what is the discussion on... You know, when, when you're in the room with everyone in there and say, let's pick Wonderwall or let's pick Hot Legs. Yeah, I mean, there's a massive story behind Wonderwall, but I mean, back in, back in the day, back in 1982, when you're putting a marketing theme together again, I mean, the MISL, um, you know, some incredible sports minds and future sports executives got their grounding and their start in the MISL. So people like Len Komorowski, who's, who was the CEO of the Cleveland Cavaliers, Tim Leibwicki, um, um, who owns Oakview Group now and runs stadiums all over the world. We all started together in the MISL. And the goal was, back in the day, it's interesting, you know, can you beat the NHL from an average ticket standpoint? Can you put more butts in seats than the NHL? And we were out drawing. Um, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Wow, that's, uh, uh, you know, that's we, we, in Pittsburgh. We, yeah, man. we were averaging one one year it was anywhere between ten and twelve thousand people per game. They were down a little bit until they drafted Mario Lemieux. Um, 
But, um, you know, we were out drawing the Pittsburgh Penguins in Pittsburgh. So it, it's really interesting that the, the marketing, we, we, we talked about disrupting an industry. You know, the di disruptors in the sports industry were a lot of people who came out of the MISL because they realized that really sports was entertainment. And so how do you bring entertainment into sports? The conversation around hot legs uh, was very short. That was Chris Wright going in and saying, we're doing hot legs. <laughs> yeah, I love Rod Stewart. Yeah. You know, yeah. Here's the reason why. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, there wasn't a lot of debate yeah. around that. With Wonderwall, completely different. Um, there was an assistant coach when the, they played in the NASL who after every game up in Blaine in the locker room would, would sing in front of all the players Wonderwall when they won. The fans heard that. So the fans up in Blaine started to sing Wonderwall when um, the old Minnesota Thunder won. When we ultimately developed MNUSC FC, Allianz Field, those same fans came to be part of our season ticket base and Wonderwall was born. And so we actually named the safe standing area behind the goal Wonderwall and, and obviously the tradition continues and grows. And, and now it's, it's all over the world. You can go to YouTube and watch the singing of Wonderwall at a Minnesota United game. And it's incredible the number of people who go, how do we develop traditions like that inside mm -hmm. of our own stadium? It's, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Kind of gets right back to what we're talking about here on the podcast. Music. Chris Wright, I want you to think about this for a second. Especially with all the bands that you've seen and people you've known, you have to put together a concert whether it's at Allianz Field or wherever it is, I want you to think of the three bands that you would line up. You only got a three. They could be live or not. Give me three bands that you would put on stage when I come back. I'll give you a short time to think about it because I think that's a tough t thing to answer sometimes. I got an easy thing to answer, and that's when you have an issue with your, your uh, furnace or your conditioning. And the easy answer is AquariusHomeServices.com. You know, we always say they, they believe and earning the right to be recommended. And I can tell you, they really stand behind that, too, because I've worked with them for over two decades. Um, if you battle allergies, for example, there's things they can do now on your on, on your air conditioner and your furnace where you can find out about, you know, fighting the allergies inside the house. And there's much more to it than that. There's a lot of great things that you'll hear and go, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. But the thing is, they're such good people. Uh, Jeff and his staff, have grown through these many years and I knew him when he first started the business and I just I love the way they work I love the fact when, the, when they come to your house to let's say uh, tune up your air conditioning or tune up your furnace which we do every year just to make sure that the furnace or air conditioner lasts a long time they, they want to know where they can park their van I remember the first time they said is it okay to park my van there and I'm going nobody's ever asked me that <laughs> they've come over they're good and so when I say that you're in the right to be recommended but the thing is you want them to fix it right the first time and this is what they do. By the way, water's always in the news, right? And there can be things in your water that aren't good for you, right? We've read those stories, probably seen them in the paper, maybe today or wherever you get your news. They have the Kinetco systems that'll clean that out and clean that up. I've had mine for a long time. That's a, And water in your house, that's probably one of the most important things you should be concerned about. Find out, ask questions. Say, how come Dave's such a strong supporter of everybody at AquariusHomeServices.com? And they'll tell you, and, and I believe the next time around when you need something done by the work they do, 
uh, you'll be calling Aquarius Home Services. AquariusHomeServices.com. Again, earning the right to be recommended. And uh, great to have him on the show. Chris Reitzman, so kind to share time with us here today. Chris, that's a tough one, but three, but a concert with three main acts, and you're a guy that's been in this business, bringing in Rod Stewart and and uh, many years with the Wolves, of course. I, I remember when you brought Vanilla Ice in at halftime, yeah. and that was that was so good. And that's just one of many things. So, but who, what would you do? Who yeah, we, uh, it's interesting because uh, we did Three Dog Night mm-hmm. at um, at the Minnesota Strikers post game. Uh, concert and um, I was working with a local promoter called Larry Burley at the time, bring him in and um, I took the check down to the uh, the locker room and there were only two dogs in there and um, I said, you know, where's the third dog? And he said, you know, the third dog died two weeks ago. <laughs> and that, that's another really interesting story. So it, 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 it's interesting because um, the, quest- the question is really, I mean, do you go tried and true? Or do you go um, a little bit off center and and really um, people who are on your playlist today who you always play uh, when you're in the car driving to Colorado or Florida or wherever you're going, who, who are the bands that you pull up? Because there's a whole other side to Chris Wright. Uh, for about seven years, I, I came over here to coach in summer soccer camps during our off season. And I, got, I really got into US-based music. And um, um, part of that was Motown. Um, at the time, and part of it was bands like uh, Credence, um, Clearwater Revival, and um, Foreigner, uh, Journey, um, all of the bands that, you know, I wasn't used to Mm -hmm. over in England um, were here when I was 21 through about 27 before I came over here full time. And so it's really difficult for me to go in different directions. Having said all of that, I mean, and still around today, I would have to put the Rolling Stones up there mm-hmm. because if I had to choose between the, Be- I love the Beatles music. Don't right. get me wrong, but if I had to put up a group that performs and performs even today at an incredibly high level for an eighty-year-old Mick Jagger, um, you got to put the Rolling Stones up there. And their, their music, I mean, I can sing their music better than I can sing the Beatles music. So that history would tell you to put Elton John up there. Um, because, um, you know, he has meant, him and his music has meant so much to me um, along the way. Um, But then after that, I'm a huge fan of um, Fleetwood Mac, Mm -hmm. uh, huge into, you know, uh, their music. Um, But then I go back in time and I go, you know what, a band we haven't talked about at all, Eric Burden and the Animals. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, Sky Pilot, um, misun- yeah. Misunderstood, House of the Rising Sun. Sound and oh, and they're all, they're all Newcastle boys. So they're, um, they're from the part of the world that I was born in and they're blue collar, rough and yeah, ready. they seem like it. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, really in the big scheme of things, uh, uh, yeah, they've gone through different iterations, but they didn't last that long. Uh, but the first time that I saw them live um, was at a nightclub in Scarborough. I mean, they were absolutely incredible. They held this room, and and it was this big sound uh, that they you know that they came with. I ironically, um, I drove all the way down to La Crosse, Wisconsin, to see them at Oktoberfest, probably about maybe about fifteen twenty years ago now, where Eric had 
brought a group back together again. They were playing at Oktoberfest <laughs> in, La, in La Crosse, Wisconsin. And, and I, I just got to go see him. You I, I, I got to I gotta hear him sing live, yeah. House of the Rising Sun. So there's all sorts of bands like that, Dave. And, you know, outside the Rolling Stones and, and Elton, because they, they are so incredibly meaningful and their music is so meaningful and it's music that I play all of the time, I'd have a really difficult job sort of picking the third because it would be a much smaller band like Eric Burden and the Animals or the Who or the Hollies. Um, it would be bands like that that I would just love to see again. I've just bought tickets for Foreigner. Uh, down in Fort Myers, playing at the Barbara Man oh um, in in the middle of March, huh. and I, I mean I'm so excited about seeing sort of Foreigner down there because they were one of the bands, you know, that I started to follow when I when I came up here when I was 21 through about 27 years of age. Yeah, oh. well that'd be a great show. What have I left out today, Chris? I, you know, I get a chance to chat with you, but uh, once in a while we get into the music thing, and it seems like it's never ending. Have we have we hit everything that we should know? Well, the, the only thing that you should have asked me is whether or not I can sing or not. Well, I, and did, the answer, I didn't want to go there. <laughs> the answer to that I know is, you can play soccer. I know you can fill stadiums. <laughs> Absolutely not. I can't, I can't sing with a leg. Yeah. Well, right back to what you say. Soccer stars want to be musicians. Musicians want to be soccer stars and, and sports stars. But it is, it's an interesting way how it ties the world together, music. It's been a lot of fun, Dave. Really oh, enjoyed it's it. been awesome. You've been great, Chris, as usual. I appreciate you coming over. Not at all. Anytime. He is uh, Chris Wright, as I mentioned, and, and most of you know, all those years with the Timberwolves and the Lynx as president, and then uh, moved on and helped uh, create uh, this uh, soccer team in St. Paul. It's become, I mean, that's a tough ticket, but it was a tough ticket on the first day, Minnesota United. And uh, it's really fun to see what's happened over there at Allianz Field, which turned into a beautiful field. And the sound in that field is gorgeous. Even though that football game did tear up the turf that one time, it was, it, it, I don't know how you yeah. could have staged it possibly any better. So uh, we appreciate you joining us. Davide, always good to have you here. And I thank you for your time as well. I thank the folks at the Minnesota Propane Association at Aquarius Home Services as we broadcast from the AquariusHomeServices.com studio. From our friends at UCARE. From the Chanhassen Dinner Theaters, check out ChanhassenDT.com and, of course, by our bank here at Talk North, StarBank.net. You can download this on Apple, uh, on Spotify, at TalkNorth.com, where we have a series of podcasts that you can listen to. And we hope that you do that and subscribe and join us again next week. Every show has been fascinating. Chris is just great stories here today. And we'll look forward to seeing you again next week on My First Concert.